Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. Good morning. It's really good to, to be here and uh, to be on the kind of the cusp of a new thing. Um, and we trust that God is uh, in it and uh, working. You know, as I've been thinking about this whole process and um, back to the beginning, back to the first time we preached at Westside, of which in our minds was not the beginning of a process that was leading to this point, by the way. <laughs> we were just coming to help out Gianna and try to be here for a couple of weeks and be with, be with you guys to to give some some steadiness here. Uh, the very first Sunday that we were here, and as we were driving away, Jen and I just remarked, like, that is a place where, like, God is moving. That's a place where, like, the Spirit is, like, it's palpable. Like, there's, a, there's an energy in that place. Um, and it was just noticeable to us in that moment. And so we, we've been drawn towards it just, just because of that uh, ever since then. Did not think that this was going to be uh, the end result. Uh, but here we are, and now you can't, uh, you can't get rid of me. So, uh, <clears throat> so here we go. Um, yeah, there's, a, there's an energy in the room. There's also, if we could share this picture, another clear evidence early on to me that the Spirit of God was working in this place. <laughs> Is this this little sign right here over by the coffee? There's a whole lot to be said about like uh, like the experience that a church tries to create for you as you as you walk in. What could be better than this beautiful sign right here? All regular coffee. What clearer evidence do we need that God is working among a group of people than than this very fact? We have said no to decaf. We have said no. We have said no to decaf coffee in all of its forms, all regular coffee. Praise to the Lord. <laughs> uh, could you open to 1 Corinthians 1, if you got your Bible with you? Um, open to 1 Corinthians 1. I, I've been thinking and praying and wondering and reading about uh, pastoral ministry for a long, long time. And have been in and out, uh, uh, well, been a part of a whole lot of different like church contexts, from from Spokane to downtown Chicago to Chicago Land to uh, Eugene, and um, seen it done a lot of different ways, and tried to pay attention to stories of it being done uh, different ways in, in other places as well. And over the years, um, I have really started to develop sort of a, like a, a personal vision of pastoral ministry. And I just want to share a little bit of that this morning uh, so that we can, um, just so you can know where I'm, I'm coming from. Uh, I want to be real clear um, at every stage of this process. This is not about me coming in with new ideas and imposing them and saying, hey, we're going to go this direction. Uh, I, I want this to be a collaborative thing. Uh, we are a community together, and I want to hear 
your voice. I want this. I want to hear what your vision for this place is as well. T- this morning, I want to share my broader vision for like ministry in general. But in terms of like where Westside is going, I want to hear from you. And so, um, over the I mentioned it last week at our outdoor service. Not. Um, not everyone was there. If you were there, this will be a little redundant. But over the course of the next couple of months, uh, we're going to have a handful of, of meetings, 10 to 20 folks uh, at a time. You only have to come to, to one of them. You actually only get to come to one of them. I want to hear from different different folks. But just hearing, like, what do you what do you love about Westside? What what makes you want to be a part of the body here? And what is your vision for this place? Well, what, what do you see God doing here? I want us to hear, I want us to listen together so that we can figure out where where we feel like the Spirit is, is leading us. So that, to me, is an important collaborative thing. Not uh, Joshua has a, a cool thing and we're going to go do that. No, no. I want to share my heart this morning, but where we're going is where we're going together. Um, so to that end, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 18, not 26, sorry. I, was, I gave Gianna the passage and then I changed my mind. So the first of like, I don't know, that'll happen every week. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 2, uh, 5, um, captures a lot of what has worked its way into my heart over the years. And so I want to share that this passage kind of breaks up into three big sections. Uh, and I want to share just a little bit from each of those, um, what I, what God had, how God has shaped my heart, basically. Uh, so I'm going to read the first portion of this passage 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18 through 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, and I love that as an Old Testament prof, as an Old Testament guy, for it is written, uh, if we were reading our, new, our Old Testaments well all along, it was pointing this, this way. We should go back and read our Old Testaments and see how it is. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. And we're already frustrated, right? Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God... The world, through its wisdom, did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. At this point, we're like, we're right in the middle of a Paul word salad, and we're like, what? okay, what do all of those things mean together? He starts to clarify a little bit. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. So one group looks for one thing from God, another looks for another thing from God. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. I love that last verse there. God, if, if God were to have a floor, it would be far higher than our best ceiling, right? <laughs> The foolishness of God is better than our wisdom. These verses teach us that the message of the gospel defies human wisdom. 
And we are going to rest in that fact, not buck against it. The message of the gospel defies human wisdom. In other words, we don't need a more palatable message for the gospel to advance, for the gospel to go forward. We don't need to sugarcoat the gospel. Christ crucified for us sinners. Broken, distanced from God on our own. Some of those phrases are not super comfortable for us and not particularly popular to say today, but that's the message of the gospel, and we're not going to shy away from it. The cross contradicts human wisdom, and it can't be improved by human wisdom. We can't add our little gadgets to it to make it better. We can add our ideas to make it different, but not, not better. Um, this does not mean uh, that we have an excuse to, to uh, preach the gospel however, um, however we feel led in a given moment. Some people take that. Yes, we should preach the gospel. Some people take that and say, okay, if the message is going to be somewhat uncomfortable, if it's going to be somewhat offensive anyway, then I'm just going to be offensive as a person. And th- this has become an issue, right? You just, ha- you just can't handle the gospel. Like, well, no, they just can't handle you. You're not nice. We, we got to stop acting like being a jerk for Jesus is helping anyone. We got to stop it. We're, we're not going to sugarcoat. We're not going to make the gospel easier to hear necessarily. It's not easy to say like we are sinners in need of a, of a savior. But it is a beautiful thing to say. We don't need to add unnecessary offense to that which is already um, defying human wisdom. Now, it's interesting. Throughout scripture, wisdom is a good thing, right? All, all throughout. Uh, wisdom's a, a good thing. It's... Um, the, the powerful discernment to be able to know what to do in a given moment. It's, it's ruthlessly practical, actually. It's not so much a mental exercise. There is a mental component to it, but both Old and New, New Testament, the concept of wisdom is very, very practical. It, it's, it's a good know-how, a faithful know-how, we could say. That's what wisdom is. That's not what Paul's talking about here. And you can tell because he says, wisdom according to the flesh, or human wisdom. And I, I just imagine as he's writing, he's doing little air quotes, like human wisdom. And what do, we, what do we mean by human wisdom? Well, commentators sort of uh, agree that at the very baseline, he's at least talking about like sort of the prevailing thought of the day, the, the popular thought patterns of the day. That's what human wisdom is. The gospel and the popular way of thinking of a day, they don't always go hand in hand. We're going to be okay with that. But to me, as pastor, I think one of the most important parts of my role is to try to be discerning and, and then bringing before us what are the parts of human wisdom today that could hold us captive. What are the thing, what are the, where are the traps? Where are the things that we could fall into? if we're not careful. And I just want to share with you four 
this morning. This is the stuff that I want us to be mindful of. We're going to move forward by the end of the sermon, but let's first be wary of four things together, four kinds of human wisdom that we should be wary of and the false gospels that go with them. First, there's the human wisdom of of manipulation by fear or provoking through anger. These could have been their own points, but they're, I think, two sides of uh, the same coin. Being manipulated through fear, as this or that news program might want you to be, as that this or that thought leader might want you to be, always uh, in a defensive posture, feeling being told that something's being taken away from you, and I need to, I, therefore I need to grab at it, grasp at it with all all that I am. My freedoms are being taken away, so I need to. Let's let's be careful not to be manipulated by fear, but also on the other side to not be provoked by anger, provoked through anger. Scripture's clear. There's stuff we should be mad about, for sure. There's stuff that should anger us. But for anger to become a perpetual state of our like heart's condition, that is deeply troubling. And it's destructive to us as people. We should be aware of the stuff that is happening in our world, and we should be heartbroken towards it. We, we get this wrong when we, we think that being perpetually angry about something is accomplishing Something when, when really what God is calling us to is, is genuine care for. Anger sometimes can lead to care, but anger can also lead to just more anger. And we got to be careful which, which direction we go with that. If you're listening to voices that always say, well, if you're, if you're not angry, that just means you're not paying attention. Okay. That might be true to an extent. We should pay closer attention, especially to stories that we might not naturally come across in our, in our own daily, daily lives. We should pay attention. But just to be provoked to anger, like that cannot be the end goal. We should be heartbroken. We should care. And then it should move us in a positive direction towards another. When we're manipulated through fear, we, we tend towards a defensive gospel. And when we're provoked to anger, we, we, are, we tend towards an offensive gospel. A defensive gospel is, I have to defend this territory with all of my might. An offensive gospel is, if I'm not doing something right now, then I'm not following Jesus. And neither, I want to be very clear, neither of those are bad. Neither of those are, are, both of those are actually very good things and, and biblically grounded things. They're just not the whole picture. And what, what we have to be careful of is to not make some little tiny part of the picture, even half of the picture. We can't make that the whole thing. Our, our posture can't be always defensive. It can't be always on the offensive I'm going to push us time and time again to think about what does it mean to be with Jesus, and then we're going to let let the rest of the pieces kind of fall into place. What does it mean to be with Jesus and with one another? Not always doing for, not always getting from, but being with Jesus, as Sky Jethani talks about. So, that's the first element. Being manipulated through fear, provoked through anger. Second, there's the human wisdom of the narrative that individual freedom is the highest value. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer, at the beginning of his book, The Cost of Discipleship, um, the, the first line of that book is, when God calls someone, he bids them come and die. The posture of a faithful follower of Jesus is one of sacrifice, of deference to another. I'm going to seek your good above mine. It is, if I may, not the American way. Not this elbowing so that I can have some space just to be myself. We've let cultural values of what we, um, what we value as, as a society, we've let that so seep into our, our framework, our vision for life, our worldview even, that we can't help but use that as, as a filter as we, as we read scripture. And so the things that Jesus says that really get under our skin and really force us to, to think about the kind of things that we're supposed to be sacrificing, we, we read those things and we go, well, of course, but obviously Jesus didn't mean that for here and now. And we, we put all of these filters and we give all of these excuses. And, and I want us to get rid of those. I want us to try to get the blinders off. And so I'm going to do my very best every single week to come here and to get my blinders off during, during the week, I'm always going to have them. And that's why I need you. I need accountability from you. I need you wiser and older and more faithful people than me to say, hey, I think you missed the point. I need that from you. I want to be very clear up front. This is not holy pastor going to lead a group. No, we are, we, uh, no, we are not. <laughs> we are not doing that. We are not doing that. But let's get the blinders off. And let the gospel, let Jesus, let, let the spirit through the word get into our hearts. And I think when we start to do that, we, we, might, find, we might find a few things more valuable than our own personal freedom and comfort. I think we will. We like an accommodating or an enabling gospel, right? Something that just fits with what I'm already doing. That's the false gospel as tied with this human wisdom. The next, another kind of human wisdom we should be wary of, and that's the lure of power and notoriety. These next two that we talk about are, are sort of what the next section of, of the passage is about. There's the lure of power and notoriety. There's um, a sense in today's culture that if you're not getting noticed for the thing that you're doing, then like, what's the point of it? And... Um, we have to buck against that, say an absolute no to that. We don't need anybody to know our name. We don't. 
uh, I, I call the, the faulty gospel that goes with this, I call it the, the watch me help gospel. It's the, the, I think the gospel needs, I love that message and I think it just needs a little bit of help and it would, it would have a little more help if I, if I could be known for uh, preaching the gospel even. This is where it gets so pernicious. It's, it's, so, it's so scary because in the name of Jesus, in the, in the name of doing something good for, for God, we, we slip in. And say, wouldn't it be nice if I was known for that? And family, like as as much as I desire to see us as a as a body like grow, uh, like I do want that. Oh, first of all, I want us to grow in health before we think about growing in numbers. I want us to I want us to grow strong, for sure. Um, I. I genuinely would, would like to see this place grow. I don't care about people knowing the West Side name. I, 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 want, I would love for it to, to be the case around town that you hear West Side Face Center and you're like, oh yeah, they're, they're doing stuff in the community. I would, I would love that, but that's not ultimate value. That's not, that's not why we're doing this. I want to be quietly faithful together. And like truly let God do the rest, and, and not like as a, like a little cliche to, to, to put up on your kitchen wall, but like truly just leave it in God's hands. Let's stop striving to, to be known, and so we lift you high, forever lift you high, high within our hearts, just as we sing. Let's let that be the thing. Let's let that be the thing. Let's be careful of the watch me help gospel. And finally, there's the trap of a faulty view of success. Oh, we can deal with this, uh, we can think about this individually, right? Uh, there, the faulty view of success that you uh, get married at this age and you have kids and you got a house and a, a good paying job and there, there's that, that, that whole American dream thing that I like. We, that's another instance where we, we read the pages of scripture, we read the gospel through that lens. Like, how can it help me live that life and then I can add Jesus to it? Like, no! It's Christ first and that is the metric of success. It's not personal comfort. It's not physical comfort. It's not, like I just mentioned, it's not for us thinking like, oh, we want Westside to be real big. Okay, why? Uh, sure, great. Let's let's grow as as a people. But like, if that is the end goal, our means of getting there are going to be faulty. If the goal is something other than Christ and Christ Himself, Christ glorified and nothing else, that at the center, that at the forefront of what we are doing. If anything else is our end game goal, our our, our methods of getting there are going to get us off one way or another. We're going, we're going to start wandering the wrong direction. The false gospel that goes with this is the, the numbers gospel. So much pain has been inflicted in the name of Jesus by, by churches, by organizations who have said, 
well, we, we understand we aren't doing this very well. We understand we're hurting this group of people. But look at the numbers over here. We're not going to do a numbers gospel. We're going to do a cross gospel. Christ and Christ crucified. Okay. The message of the gospel defies human wisdom. And so some mornings we're going to come together and we're going, we're going to be very uncomfortable together hearing what Jesus has to say to us because it's not always, it's not always fun. Uh, but it is good and it's hopeful and it's wonderful. And there's nothing better in the world than the message of the gospel and the way that it can change lives. That part defies human wisdom as well. Okay, let's look at the second section. The recipients of the gospel defy human wisdom. They, uh, us, <laughs> us silly folk here together, um, we defy human wisdom. Why would God pick us? Is a good question to ask. Here's, here's how Paul addresses it, starting in verse 26. Uh, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. And most English versions uh, render this like, uh, think about what you were when you were called. The, the Greek verb blepo uh, is used here, which is to, to see. And there are a handful of commentators that, that pointed out that the sense of the, the Greek phrasing here is, is more like a parent with a young child saying, look at you, after they come in from a day playing all covered in dirt. Like, oh, look at, look at yourself. Look at, look at, look at you. <clears throat> and Paul is saying, look at, look at yourself. Think about what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Notice it doesn't say not any in, the, in these cases. It just says not many, not many of you were wise uh, by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that. Anytime we get a so that from Paul, we're like, oh, good, this is what it's about. So that no one can boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul's talking to the Corinthians here about being a people with no status, a people without status, who don't grasp at status. It's not that there aren't some who do have status in the group. He's saying that's not the point. A people with no status. And it recalls for us how God has always worked, right? If we think all the way back to Deuteronomy 7, when Moses is preaching to the people of Israel, he says to them, um, when God picked you, it was, it was not because you were the greatest in number. You were not the loveliest of bunches around. <clears throat> If, if God wanted to win a battle, uh, he, he would have picked somebody else. 
and said, you were the fewest. Moses says that. You were the least. This is how God has always operated. It's upside down. It does not make sense to us. We think, okay, more notoriety, more popularity, bigger platform, bigger voice. That way the, the gospel can be proclaimed and more people can hear about it. And God at every turn says, that's not how we're doing things. That's not it. Some people get those platforms and they use them well. And that is something, that is a good thing. That is something to be celebrated. It is not something to be grasped, though. It's not what we're going after. That's not the point. The point is Christ and Christ crucified. So we lift you high, forever lift you high. That is our end goal. We let God figure out the platform stuff. We let God figure out the messaging stuff. It's not a bad thing to be, to be popular. It's a bad thing to grasp at it to make it the focal point. Worldly standards for, for popularity far too often influence, infiltrate our, um, our affinity, like our, the, the stuff, that, the, the kind of people that we're, we're drawn towards. Oh, I like the way that that person teaches. I like the way that that person crafts that phrase or whatever. That person has a lot of followers, so there's more clout there. That is not a gospel metric. It simply is not. It's not wrong to be well-known. It's just wrong to think that we need to be well-known in order for the gospel to go forward. Because in our sneaky little like human tendencies, what we often mean when we say, oh, we want a bigger voice so that we can proclaim the gospel, what we often mean is that we want to be known for the ones that help bring the gospel. Like we... we that sneaks in there so quickly. Pride knows no limits. It seeps into every little crevice that we don't shut it down. It does. It does. It does. It's fascinating to me um, the way that this corrective, this uh, encouragement, um, this warning uh, that is handed to first century Corinth rings true across time and space and hits us here in 2023 in Eugene, Oregon, just as hard. There's no culture anywhere at any time that hasn't dealt with this at some point. This is, this is a perennial issue everywhere, everywhere you go. It is so easy to, to, to fall into the lure of celebrity and we just want to say, you know, we don't need it. And we're going to actually, we're going to celebrate the fact that God uses the lowly and God uses whoever so that we don't boast in us. As C.S. Lewis who says, pride is the ultimate anti-God state of mind. Shouldn't we do everything we can to try to rid ourselves of it? If the gospel goes forward, let's praise God for it, not take credit for it. And finally, two, one through five. Uh, I love this. Uh, Paul, in the first section that we looked at, he uses the first person plural pronoun. He uses we, so we're talking about us and the message of the gospel that we have received. And then he points in the next passage to you, second person. He says, you, think about, think, I mean, think about where, where God brought you from. 
And now here in 2, 1 through 5, he turns it personal. and goes, I have something to say about this as well. And so it was with me. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Most, um, most manuscripts um, actually prefer the mystery about God as I and it fits, I think, with what Paul is saying here, actually, as I proclaimed to you the mystery about God. <coughs> For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. This is my prayer for us. This is my prayer for me. And I'm sharing this passage with you again as as a measure of accountability going forward. For Paul, the cross was not just a message, it was a lifestyle. He says elsewhere, I, I've been crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, it's Christ in me. And when the, when the cross gets a hold of us, things like um, well-crafted sermons or strategic ministry methods, careful budgets, stuff like that. None of which are bad in and of themselves. All good things, all things that God can use, absolutely. But none of that is the point. None of that is what we are actually being called to. The preaching of the gospel, that the ministry of the gospel defies human wisdom just as much as the message, just as much as the group together. Paul says, I want to put Christ at the center of what I know. I, I, this, this sounds a little bit odd to us, right? I, just, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ and Christ crucified. We are going to put that at the center. We were going to put him at the top. And let the pieces fall into place. We're going to do that. We're going to trust that as we try to get out of the way that that is when we start to see the Spirit's power. And that's what we want. We want the Spirit to fall fresh 
on West Side, on West Eugene. We want to see, we want to see the Spirit work in our community and in our, in our lives because, because we know the cross, because we know the Christ of the cross. We know that when, that when God is on the move and when people's lives are, and eyes are turned towards Jesus, that, that the redemption of those who we thought were too far gone starts to happen and that the healing of wounds that we never thought would be helped starts, starts to happen and the mending of broken places and people and systems, like that all starts to come together. But only when, only when we put Christ and Christ alone at the center of our hearts. And so I want us to think today, I, I want to leave us with a, a question and it's a fill-in-the-blank question. It's, uh, how are we going to cherish Christ over fill-in-the-blank? How are we going to cherish Christ over our personal freedoms, over our fears or our angers, over our pet peeves over those little desires that, that nag at our hearts over those little things that have uh, gotten us astray here and there? How are we going to cherish Christ over, over the good things that we want to make ultimate things? How are we going to do that together as West Side? And I, I would encourage you to reflect on that personally. How, how am I going to cherish Christ. It, Paul is an example of, of someone who, who did not do this perfectly, but here's, here's the plan. Here's the, here, here is his heart being laid out before us. Let's have the cross be the message that we proclaim, but also be the kind of people that we are going to be, and trust that when we do that, we are going to see the Spirit work, and that's exactly where we want to go. Right. Uh, worship team, why don't you come up? Um, we're we're going to sing just the last little bit of, of Blessed Assurance. We're going to sing the bridge. Oh, what a Savior, wonderful Jesus. We could sing that till the cows come home. We could sing we can never sing that enough. May it filter into our hearts. May it filter in to our lives. Sometimes, man, I, I will I'll say this fairly regularly. Sometimes we come to church and the songs that we, we sing is like, oh, that hit me in just the right spot and that was great. I loved singing those. Sometimes we come to church and we we sing stuff that we, we don't really maybe fully mean. And, and that's I want to say, that's not fake. That's okay. Sometimes the, the songs and, and hearing our brothers and sisters around us sing them with us, sometimes that pulls along our faith in a way that we, that we need. That's why it's so important to be here because the faith of our brother and sister is sometimes stronger than, than our own. Oh, what a Savior. Wonderful Jesus.